At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 401st episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Growing plants that thrive in our yard is a lot easier than you think. It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit IWANTTOSAVESEEDS.COM and you will receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how you can save your own. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is homesteading in the burbs. We're talking with Dwayne Hebert about growing a healthy diet. Born and raised in Gardenia, California, in the heart of South Central Los Angeles, Dwayne grew up a typical urban kid. However, at 19, he was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease and underwent six months of chemotherapy to save his life. Now, a 25-year cancer survivor, he strives to live a life grounded in the reality that what we eat and what we keep out of our body is critical to living healthy. In 2004, he and his wife Lori planted their first lemon tree on their typical one-tenth acre suburban lot in North Phoenix. And five years later, they had more fruit than they could use or even give away. Then in 2010, a gift of locally grown apples sparked an interest in seeing just what could be grown in this harsh desert environment. Fast forward Eight more years, and the A-Bears now run Edge of Nowhere Farm, which is home to over 100 fruit trees, as well as laying hens, broiler chickens, and pigs. Welcome to the show today, Dwayne. Are you ready to rock your suburban farm? Greg, I am ready. Let's do this. Awesome. So we got your bio. What's the rest of the story? Okay, so Greg, I'm sure I'm not much different from a lot of people out there that are doing this thing that we call urban farming. Uh But I grew up in Los Angeles. It was in the 80s, so maybe not necessarily the best place to start your life, but it was what I called home and grew up, I would say, lower middle class is probably the best way to describe it. But we had enough. Mm-hmm. My dad had a couple fruit trees in the backyard that I didn't pay much of attention to shy of the Santa Rosa plum that every, <laughs> and you know the answer to this, oh, yeah. was amazing yep. and just overproductive, just this mouthwatering, amazing fruit. But I didn't have much interest in that shy of, you know, every June getting some fruit. You know, went through high school, figured I'd be in Los Angeles for the time being, and then the riots of 92 happened, and I decided, you know, this is just not someplace I want to be. So I uh, picked up and moved to San Diego, and just a couple months later was diagnosed with uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm. Went through six months of chemotherapy and uh, started the road to recovery. Met my wife there. We were both working for a sporting goods company and had the opportunity to either move to Los Angeles or move to Phoenix because we had our son. And my wife, she can be very encouraging. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
encouraging me in the right direction, which was to get us over to Phoenix because uh-huh. it was a, a healthier lifestyle overall. Right. And so that's where we wound up was uh, here in Phoenix, uh, moved here in 98. In 2004, you know, just on a, your typical suburban lot, like you said in the intro there, just you know, a tenth of an acre, about 5,000 square feet total, had a bunch of rock and a cut. I think there was a Palo Verde tree in the front yard. We threw a mesquite tree in the backyard and kind of forgot about it. Except by chance, we were walking through Home Depot. I saw a little lemon tree, and for some reason, I decided to buy it. So we brought it home, connected it to the drip system, put a bunch of rocks around it, and just sat there and watched it for a couple of years. <laughs> and finally, through no purpose of our own, it decided to start growing and producing fruit. By 2008-ish, right around four years in, we got our first couple lemons. And then 2009, we just got this bumper harvest <laughs> of lemons. Well, like only lemons can do. You got it. Life gives you lemons. What do you do when you get a truckload of them? So we took them to church, gave them to friends. The second year, we had friends telling us, please, no more lemons. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, please, no more zucchinis. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So we're doing this, this lemon thing, and I was working for a supplement company selling supplements at the time. I had a customer, really good customer, come in. It was in June. I believe it was either 2010 or 2011. Came in, and he had this bag of apples. And so I'm looking at these little green apples, and it was in Paradise Valley. I'm looking Uh at them like, okay, where'd you get these apples? And he's like, my backyard. So I bit (laughs) into one, and it was amazing. Uh I'm like, okay, wait a minute. I have never had apples like this. I'm like, where do you live? And, you know, just down the street. And I went home, shared them with my wife, and I thought, how is this possible? I know the lemon trees do good. You see citrus everywhere. How are apples growing here in the desert? And you know what? Greg, that's really where it started, uh-huh. and it's turned into what we have today, which is a couple more trees than that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So walk me up your driveway and tell me what I see, because you're no longer on a tenth of an acre. No. There was this confluence of events that happened right around 2012. We planted our first apple tree in rocks, of course. I didn't know any different. Planted several other trees after that. I think we had 13 fruit trees on our little property and ran out of space. So about the same time, my grandpa had his 95th birthday. We went up to Oregon. I spent two weeks every summer as a kid in Oregon. And he had a huge garden and he he was on five acres up on this mountainside. So we go there to see my grandpa at his 95th birthday. We're walking around Portland, Oregon. And, And Greg, you ever been to Portland? Oh, yes. Okay. So Portland in June, just green. Oh, yes. There's plums growing on the side of the road by accident, yep. blackberries all over the place mm-hmm. about to ripen. And so I'm looking at this, looking at my grandpa, who's 95 years old, worked hard his whole life, had his hands in the dirt, red dirt there, of course. Yes. Had his hands in the dirt. I'm looking at my wife. You know, we've got our 13 fruit trees. I'm looking at my grandpa, who's still in great shape at 95, and I'm thinking, okay, we need to get out of the city. There's just something to this. So at the same time, had a guy who I would follow in the supplement industry that had a line of products that was all organic, all whole food supplements. And I'm following this guy, great salesman, you know, which in that industry you have to be if if you're going to be successful. The supplements that he sold were very, very expensive. And I'm looking at the back and, you know, the ingredient list is very small and it's all food. And I'm thinking, okay, wait a Mm. minute. (laughs) Mm -hmm. If we're selling these expensive, organic, whole food supplements, why am I not just getting them from my own food? And so at the same time about, ah, maybe three or four months later, 
turns out this same guy sells his company, and what does he do, Greg? He buys a farm. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so all this is happening. I'm looking at my wife, and I'm going, you know what, sweetheart? Let's get out of Dodge. And so looked at a couple of different pieces of property, bought one, had it kind of fall through, and then we wound up in Whitman. We live down this dirt road. When you come into our house, to get back to your question, there are a total of nine houses down this road. We are on a shared well. So when you drive up to our property, the first thing you're going to see is fruit trees. Shocker. Not. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we've got a half circle drive and we've got fruit trees right up front. We've got uh, a couple of figs, a peach tree, a contorted mulberry tree. Have you seen one of those? Contorted mulberry or contorted jujube? Contorted mulberry. Ooh, mulberry. No, I've never heard of that before. Yes, yes, yes. So I'm gonna, I'll get you the details on that when we're done. So I've got a contorted mulberry. Uh, just looks amazing when it drops its leaves in the wintertime, and we've already gotten fruit off of it. It's uh-huh. been in the ground for about two years. Got a couple citrus trees up there. I've got a, a weeping Santa Rosa that I got from this great place. It's the, uh, You might have heard of it. It's the Urban Farm Fruit Tree Program. <laughs> Thank you. I've got that tree up front and another mulberry tree that's grown up there. Uh-huh. All those trees are actually some of our youngest trees. So they're all about two years or younger. Mm-hmm. So we've got those right up front doing really, really well. And then what you don't see, because we have it walled off, is actually the farm that's in the back of the property. One of the things that we're doing on our YouTube channel that's actually, it'll, it'll be up by the time you guys are all hearing this, but, uh-huh. but we actually do a walkthrough of the back so you can actually see and walk through with us. Oh, nice. So when you go through the side gate, you walk back, and now you're looking at something that looks nothing like everything around us. It's green. There's a 5,000-square-foot pasture, not grass, Greg, pasture. Wow. So there's a 5,000-square-foot pasture that's right in the middle. We've got a garden walled off by 16 grapevines, three different varieties of grapevines, Uh of grapes. And then we have three rows, orchard rows in the back that have trees up to about four years old. And then we also keep chickens, layers, as well as broiler chickens Mm -hmm. during the wintertime. And we also have pigs that we keep for pork in the back as well. From our garden to our fruit trees to our meat production, we've basically gotten to the point where we can't possibly consume or give away what comes off of our property. So what we've done now is we've actually started a business. Wow. What's the business look like? So we started at the beginning of this year with our broiler chickens, did that first. It was mainly friends and family to begin with, but we started with those and we gave away about half and then the other half we sold and then we had nothing for ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> so we had, a, we had a couple from our first batch, but the first batch went quickly and we had everybody all of a sudden started asking us for everything because they knew we, we had fruit and uh-huh. so they wanted, they wanted figs and then they wanted citrus. And so we're like, okay, we have some. <laughs> we'll share some with you. It started with the with the meat chickens. We had people asking for other types of meat. So people wanted pork. People, of course, wanted beef. Had a couple people asking for lamb. Everybody seems to want turkeys. My wife and I are looking at each other going, okay, wait, 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 wait. We need to back up. We said, okay, we've got an acre. We're doing what we can on this acre. You know, should we do more? And my dad, who loved our farm, loved it with a passion. And when we bought our home, It actually has a mother-in-law suite that we have always called dad's room. Every week I would call him and talk about what was new on the property. Uh, He was really kind of our biggest fan. And I lost him last year. I'm so sorry. Yeah, we lost him to to lung cancer. It was devastating for me. My outlet after a few months of, of really hard grieving was actually 
to try to figure out how I could share all of this with other people, my family, friends, anybody who wanted to watch. And so that's when we started doing YouTube, which was really for my extended family in Oregon and some of these other places to watch. Uh-huh. And so so we started that and had a few people watch. We have, I don't know, 14 or 1500 subscribers now that watch us and interact with us regularly. But one of the things that we realized quickly was that we've got this business now that's taking off and we have this space, but we have folks that are wanting whole fresh foods right? that are local. And we've had a lot of fantastic organic vegetable farms here in the Valley. But what we don't have a lot of is places where you can get local pastured meats, right? protein, and also fruit. You can get some fruit, but Greg, you know this, we can grow fruit basically year round. Yes. So there is something that is coming out of your backyard from a fruit standpoint, basically every month. We'll call it nine months a year. The July, August, September is really hard. That's true. And the figs that are coming out in August, mm, not a big fan of. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. We decided, okay, well, if we, we got all this stuff going on, we're running out of space. I knew what my dad would say. My dad would say, you're surrounded by space. If this is what you want to do, do it. So that's what we're working on now. Wow. You know, you're really going after the dream that so many of the people that I talk to want. And I think the key here for people to see is that you did it. That is what makes you different than people that talk about it. You actually went out and did this. Well, thanks, Greg. And I can tell you, my wife plays a big part in that. I tell you what, Heidi and I, when we met, it exponentially grew everything in my life. So I completely understand that. Yeah. So, wow, congratulations. Yeah, thanks. We really enjoy it. What's amazing, too, is the impetus for me. I've had some health challenges in my life, and I've always eaten pretty healthy. I think you and I both know, and what I think a lot of people are learning, is that even organic foods that you would get from the grocery store simply don't have, number one, the flavor. You can taste the difference you know, right. when you get it yourself or you actually get it local. Oh, yeah, totally different. Studies are showing that there's more nutrition in mm-hmm. a freshly picked fruit or kale from your backyard, which any, at least any of us here in Phoenix, we can grow. Right. So I think that's the thing for me at this point is, okay, well, that's fine. You know, we've done it and we've done these things, but now what? So if you've done it, for me, that's not enough. For me, it's okay, well, what else can we do? And who else can we get involved in this? Greg, I know that's what you're all about. Yeah. It's what you do regularly every single day. That's what we strive to do as well. And when I talk on YouTube or do videos on YouTube and I'm talking to the different people that watch us and they watch us from all over the world. And every single time I end every single episode and I say, if we can farm on the edge of nowhere, so can you. And Greg, you know, that's true. You know, it's true. Yeah. If we can go back here and chip around, chip through caliche and hard clay and rocks and sweat in the sun and (laughs) dodge scorpions and rattlesnakes, if we can do it here, you really can do it anywhere. Yeah. Again, it just takes that desire. Just jump in and move forward. You got it. You've touched on a couple of things that I want to dig into a little bit deeper, and and the health piece is one of them. And I've been saying for years now, and I've talked to medical doctors about this, that there are three things in our culture that cause 100% of our disease, and they're lack of nutrition in our food, environmental toxins, and stress. And if you're growing your own food or if you know your farmer, you can impact all three of those. You can positively impact all three of those. So you're obviously finding that's the case. It's part of what 
pushed you in this direction. Tell me more about that. Oh, absolutely. So when you look at those three things, your environmental toxins, you can only do so much with that. If you're talking about the actual environment, so walking outside, walking down the street, you can impact that so much, maybe with something filtering your air in your house or in your car. But for the most part, you can't get away from that too much. But what you put in your body, you absolutely can. Growing your own food is really the only way to ensure that. Because Greg, you've got organic foods. Well, you know, you have organic quote unquote pesticides, or should I say quote unquote organic? Yeah, exactly. You have these things. Well, okay, what qualifies organic for whatever organic agency is actually doing the testing? And more most importantly, what is the farmer actually putting on that crop when they're not looking? I trust the majority of them are probably being honest with us. Yeah. But the reality is you don't know. You just don't know. And so the only way to know for sure is you see it. You do it yourself Mm -hmm. or you go to the farm where it's being actually grown for you. Right. You see it yourself. And I'll tell you what, you'd also talked about stress. Stress always been an issue for me. We're surrounded by stress. It's hard to get away from it. Tell you what, Greg, I can't tell you how many times I come home from work and I've got a long drive, which is by design. We wanted that. We wanted to be out in the exo suburban kind of sphere. So a little further out of town than most. Right. You know, I work in the industrial part of Phoenix. And so, you know, I've got about an hour commute. And by the time I get home, let's just say the stress is a little higher when I get home Uh than it was when I left work. Yeah. (laughs) It's crazy. And not quite as bad as Los Angeles. That's insane. Mm -hmm. We're getting there. But my wife literally, she'll say hello, give me a hug and a kiss, see the look on my face and basically point to the back. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Because she knows where I need to go. My safe space, is, it's not in an office. It's not watching TV. My safe space is out taking care of my chickens and petting my pigs and looking over my fruit trees and watering the couple things we don't have on irrigation. Yeah. Just being outside, even during the summertime, seven o'clock at night, eight o'clock at night, yeah, it's a hundred degrees, but sun's going down. The sky's probably beautiful because it is most nights here. Uh, yeah. It's warm, but get the hose out. Add some extra water on that ring around your fruit tree. Spend some time out there, get your hands in the dirt and get grounded. And that stress is going to be, yeah. it's going to be compromised. We'll put it that way. Right. So I'm actually sitting here recording my podcast and looking out my back door onto the onto the back patio into the backyard here at the urban farm 15 years ago i had an office outside of the home that i went to every day and i had this little space that it's about 250 square feet and i looked at it and it was storage and it was like this could be my office and that's the reason i did it so that i could get stressed out okay i'm going to stand up and go take a nap or i'm going to go out and dig in the yard but that is by design and it sounds to me and you know another virtual high five for you man you're designing it you're designing a life that you love yes and the other piece that you kind of alluded to and that is the abundance that comes off of our fruit trees and our gardens. And I've discovered over the course of the past 10 years or so that there's this notion of lack, not having enough, only exists in one place on the planet, and that's between our ears. Absolutely true. Right? Because when you walk out in your garden and walk out into your fruit tree orchard, and there is literally a mind-blowing amount of food growing there, it's like, there's no lack here. No. And that's absolutely by design. And you're absolutely correct. That lack is really truly inside of us. It's uh-huh. not outside. Yeah. It's just not outside. Or if it is outside, we've created that too. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's my point. So what are you doing with all the abundance that you're growing and raising there? We'll take figs as an example. Mm-hmm. So Greg, you've got fig trees. 
Your first year, you're going, okay, when am I getting my first fig? Your second year, you're like, woohoo, you know, I got a dozen figs. The next year, you're like, oh my goodness, this is more than I think I can handle. Uh-huh. And the year after that, this is more than I can handle in the first week. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's like, there's that abundance, and what do you do with it? They're everywhere. Figs are expensive. You know, if you're going to buy a dozen figs at Whole Foods, you're going to spend six, seven, eight bucks minimum. Mm-hmm figs that are a fraction of what you can grow yourself. So what we do, obviously, we eat them fresh. We've always given them to neighbors, friends, family. This year, we've actually started selling some, so we do that as well. So for us personally, our fig season, it's at least for, say, a brown turkey fig, it's split into two seasons. So right. you've got your early crop that's usually coming in June, July-ish. And right now, I've got green figs. I've got a couple of panache figs that are ripe now, and my brown turkeys are, are coming on again. So usually, what we do with that first crop, because it's heavy, we make fig preserves. So we do fig jam. We dry fig. We freeze figs. Uh-huh. My wife and I started dabbling in winemaking this year because of an overabundance of grapes. All right. So now we're looking seriously at trying either a fig mead or a fig wine. Whoa. This is just with first season, Greg. Right. <laughs> this is just first season. We use uh, fresh figs. Uh, on. We love make this great uh, fig, balsamic fig pizza, which is amazing. Figs are great in cooking. You name it, just you could just about do it with figs. And that's just one fruit right. off of one or two trees. There's buckets and buckets of figs. For years, I've been telling people that this notion of being a farmer is only 50% growing. The other 50% is you got to pick it, pack it, process it, market it. There is a process behind the process that you have to figure out. And how have you been doing on that? I can speak more to our meats. So for chicken and pork. Mm -hmm. Chicken in particular, because in Arizona, we control every aspect of chicken from the day it arrives to the day that it goes in the freezer, every aspect. Right. So we control all of it. I know you've talked about it before because you've raised a batch of broilers, correct? I figured maybe seven or eight years ago, I thought, you know what? I still eat chicken. I need to at least raise some to figure out what that's about. So I did. So you know the process. I do. We go from chick to freezer on the farm, so we control every aspect of it. Uh-huh. They come to our farm at about two to three days old. They're little tiny chicks, haven't ever touched any water or food. So we've got a brooder set up for them, and we take care of them from that day on. We've got them in the brooder for a few weeks. We feed them a, a non-GMO feed. We feed them soy-free. We also pasture-raise them. So pasture-pasture. Right. So they're actually on a pasture multi-species pasture. So we do this during the wintertime. So we usually start in September. We get our chicks in September. I've got chickens on pasture now. We're here talking at the beginning of November. We take those chickens all the way through to the very last moment of their life. And we like to say they got one bad day on the farm, but we control that day. Right. It's as stress-free as possible for the chickens. Very stressful for us because we don't like that day Right. as farmers, but we choose to consume meat. And so if we're going to do that, I want to have control over that. I want to know what's going into those chickens. And it's good to know that process. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you what, Greg, as an aside, if you have the ability to raise an animal yourself on any scale, whether it's quail or chicken, most folks can get away with quail, even in the suburbs, but raising it from beginning to end, if you're going to consume meat, you really need to go through that process. Amen. Absolutely. You know exactly what's happening with that animal and you come to terms with that because you need to. We always talk about being disconnected from food. Mm -hmm. We're disconnected from all of it. Meat is definitely one of those. And I can tell you as a farmer who grows livestock, the day that you take an animal's life is an extremely difficult day and it should be. 
it's a serious business. It is. It's not fun. It's not an enjoyable thing. But if you're going to continue continue to consume meat, and we do, we do that. Mm-hmm. We we take that responsibility on because we feel we have to. Right. So we go through that process. It takes an entire day to go through a batch. A batch is usually about 50 chickens for us. So we go through that entire day. We ice them down, go through the process of packaging. We label them because you have legalities involved as far as how you have to label. So we label them, get them right into the freezer unless somebody's coming to the farm to pick up their chickens. Then we store them. So well, what we have left over, which is usually not very much, and it's definitely not for very long. And so we do that. We keep them and then it's a matter of selling them. So anything that we do have, you know, we've got our website and we're on Facebook and we've got friends and family and customers now, but then you go through that process of marketing. We don't do any paid advertising at this point because we don't have enough product to do it. We go through the process of getting with the customers we have. So you go through that. You have to take the money. You have to have a bank account to put the money into. You know, there's a lot involved with just that. It's a big process. In the end, of course, we have the food that we consume ourselves. And now we have customers that get back to us and go, oh my goodness, I've never had a chicken like this before. And you know, my response is always, well, what do you say whenever you have something for the first time and you try to relate it to another type of meat? Everybody said it tastes like what? Chicken. Chicken. <laughs> Everybody says that, you know. Oh, this tastes like chicken. I've, I just had tofu. What did it taste like? It tastes like chicken. chicken. Well, t- <laughs> tofu shouldn't taste like chicken. But the reality is the reason why everything tastes like chicken is because chicken today doesn't taste like chicken. You know, you're right. It tastes like nothing. You have to add something to it. Well, that's not how chicken tastes. So you try that for the first time. A chicken that's raised on pasture, they consume greens. They're voracious eaters of greens. It's amazing. Yep. I had no idea until we started raising them ourselves. They are like waiting at that front door for me to move that chicken tractor and put them on more to more green. Mm-hmm. And they devour it the instant they're over it. Well, what a chicken consumes is what goes into the meat. Right. So if they're consuming corn and soy and then tomorrow they're getting corn and soy and the next day they're getting corn and soy, well... They're going to taste like chicken. Like chicken, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And obviously ours are not. You know, they don't get corn or soy. They eat greens every single day of their adult life. We feed them table scraps and all these things. Yeah, greens and bugs. Greg, heaven forbid (laughs) any type of moving creature gets into that tractor. It does not last more than a heartbeat. I know. I've actually seen our laying hens here go after mice and take them down. Oh, yeah, they're tough. Yeah. And they're omnivores. So, you know, (laughs) if they they eat, I mean, obviously we're not going to feed them chicken, but we do raise pigs and we do have pork. So any pork scraps that we have, when we're eating, Uh so if it's, you know, beef or pork, those scraps go to the chickens and they'll take every piece off of a bone. They make some amazing eggs. Yeah. Have you played with black soldier flies yet? Not yet. And I know our new property, we've got a lot of space and we're still trying to figure out how we're going to design it. We're going to use our YouTube audience to kind of help us design that a little bit. We've already started that. We got our first episode that we did. We just posted this week for an acre that we have dedicated to pigs and pasture raising pigs. And so creating a desert pasture for pigs. Nice. We're going to be doing the same thing, obviously, for our orchard. So we're going to be using a lot of permaculture principles for how we're designing our orchard and using water harvesting, obviously wood chips, some swales and berms, some real specific design to conserve water and really green the desert, which is is really kind of the next step for us and where we're headed. Because, of course, Greg, an acre is not enough once you're on an acre. (laughs) 
I know. In fact, literally this morning, I was sitting out in the backyard with the dog and thinking, man, I wish that I had like twice the backyard that I have. So I completely get that. Yes, yes, yes. Wow. How cool. You are just doing some amazing work. Congratulations. Thank you. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it. Okay, so Greg, I think one of these days you're going to have to do a podcast on just failures. Okay. Oh, right. (laughs) Exactly. Because how many dozens and dozens and dozens of them could we cover? I knew you were going to ask this question, and I decided to pick one that was more farming related. So, you know, kind of audience related. This would go back to our first property, that tenth of an acre that we had in North Phoenix. So we had already put in 13 fruit trees. We had kind of run out of space, but I wanted to try a garden. Had never grown vegetables in my life. So I'm thinking, okay, well, made a four by eight raised bed. Uh-huh. So let's go ahead and put this four by eight raised bed. I know how to do irrigation, so I'm running drip irrigation to it. I got it all set up. I've got trellising design because, you know, I, I want to grow some snap peas. It's all ready to go. So I go and I buy my soil from Home Depot because it said garden soil, so it should be right. Right. So I buy the garden soil. I put a couple bags of garden soil in there. I put a bunch of seeds in the ground. And, you know, about a week later or so, got a couple sprouts. I'm thinking, okay, you know, this is good. And they never really did much more than that. They kind of turned yellow. They were sort of green. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I don't understand why they're not turning green. Why would they not turn green? And I'm looking around and I realized that there's absolutely no sunlight because I had put my four by eight raised bed on the north side of my house where there's never any sun. So obviously the wrong microclimate, which I knew nothing about at the time. Then I proceeded to realize that my day by day, I was going backwards. Instead of having more sprouts, I was losing sprouts. And within a day or two, I had one or two plants left. And I'm thinking, okay, what is happening now? So I was home from work one day and I look outside my window and there's a covey of probably 15 quail devouring the rest of my garden. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Yep. So I've got my garden in the wrong spot. I've got it on the north side of my house where there's no sunlight. I have nothing to protect my garden beds from one of the most voracious eaters of greens here in town, quail. So I'm growing in the wrong place. I had them in at the wrong time. I started them really, really late in the fall. There was literally no sunlight. So just the wrong place. Definitely a failure. First thing we did when we have had a garden on the new property was, okay, this bad boy is getting sun, and I'm going to control the sun, and I'm going to cover them. I've got it set up so that I've got bird netting around it, so protection from the elements. I created my own soil, so I didn't buy bag soil, so created my own soil. So I got my own soil in those raised beds, and we plant from seed whenever we can, and they're doing fantastic. So microclimates, we always talk about microclimates, right? I learned that the hard way. (laughs) Yeah, all the time. Really important. Wow, cool. It is. So what do you consider your biggest success? Greg, that was actually the easiest one to think of. And my biggest success is my marriage to my wife, hands down. Without her, goodness, I wouldn't be the man I am today. We'll just put it that way. Definitely wouldn't be here in Phoenix. I don't know where I would be. But for me, everything that we've done, we've done together. And I know her. And Greg, 75% of this is her, let me tell you. (laughs) I like to say it's 50-50, but she really carries the weight of it in my mind. She's just an amazing woman. We're both city kids. You know, she born and raised in South Phoenix. I was born and raised in Los Angeles. So when I said I wanted to move out into the sticks, well, it's still kind of suburban, but it sticks for us and start farming. 
she looked at me kind of sideways, but I guess she trusted me enough to follow along. And Greg, she's out there moving tr- chicken tractors and taking care of the pigs. She's out there processing day with the chickens. She's out there every step of the way. And our son, amazing young man, he's 21 years old and we love him to death. I have the distinct pleasure and opportunity to work with him every day during the week, which I don't take for granted, but just a, an incredible young man. And I'll tell you what, my wife has a big part in that. So just goes back to my wife and, and the marriage that we have. That's by far my biggest success. Wow. Very touching. Thank you for sharing that. So what's your big drive behind all this? I think for me, it's obviously a healthy lifestyle. So you talked about environmental toxins, physical toxins, toxins we take in and stress. And, you know, I've had health challenges in my life. And for me, I always see challenges as something to overcome. It's a matter of of living a healthy lifestyle in every way. So from a spiritual standpoint, from a physical standpoint, from an emotional standpoint, from a financial standpoint, which I know we're not talking about here today, all of those things, that entire holistic, healthy lifestyle is really what drives me in combination with that. I've always enjoyed sharing information with other people. You know kind of what that's like, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> YouTube's a great outlet for me to do that. I can share it with people all over the world. Just to have a holistically healthy lifestyle mm-hmm. and to be able to share that with other people and get up every day and do that and see the fruits of that, that's really what drives me. Nice. Yeah, I can get a lot of that. That's where my heart's at too. So if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? This one was kind of an easy slam dunk for me too. And I'm sure a lot of the listeners out there have either read it or heard about it, but The Omnivore's Dilemma, Michael Pollan. If you're in this space, you have to read that book. And it doesn't matter what angle you're coming at it from. I did some time trying out the vegan lifestyle and I couldn't do it. You know, he goes through that and says, okay, you know what? Here's a reason why you would do this. And I can see why he goes through that and takes you full circle from eating at McDonald's to, you know, eating on Salatin's farm to finally doing it all himself. It just takes you through this incredible journey and you don't forget it impacts you. Right. You know, that's one of the cool things about podcasts and our YouTube channels and that kind of stuff is that it impacts people. Going back to why I do what I do and why you do what you do. You got it. Yeah. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? What I would say is go outside. Doesn't matter where you are. Get your hands in the dirt. Get grounded in reality by providing for yourself, literally providing for yourself. Wow, cool. And on that note, I was out in the garden this morning and I harvested about four pounds of sweet potatoes and two watermelons. Oh my. I know. I'm jealous. It's November 1st, so it's getting a little, you know, a little later in the season, but it was all just there. So you went grocery shopping this morning. I did. I did. (laughs) How cool is that, huh? Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Dwayne. Absolutely. So how can our listeners find you? Sure. So it's really easy because any way you want to find us, it's Edge of Nowhere Farm. My email is Dwayne, that's D-U-A-N-E, at edgeofnowherefarm.com. And you can find us on Facebook, Edge of Nowhere Farm. You can find us on YouTube, Edge of Nowhere Farm. We're on Instagram, Edge of Nowhere Farm. So we make it really easy to get a hold of us. Perfect. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash edge of nowhere. We are your urban farming resource. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and everywhere you find podcasts. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Growing plants that thrive in our yard is a lot easier than you think. 
It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit IWantToSaveSeeds.com and you will receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how you can save your own. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, Head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.